The following audio is from Steadfast Church in Asheville, North Carolina. We exist for maturing and multiplying disciples in Asheville and beyond for the glory of God. For more resources from Steadfast Church or to partner with us on mission, visit steadfastabl.org. Good morning to Steadfast. And uh, so I'm Jimmy Branch. If you're new here, I'm an elder here at uh, steadfast. And it's my honor to preach this week. Uh, Brian, our lead pastor, uh, Robbins usually preaches. And if you've not heard him, I encourage you to come back and hear him preach. And we're glad to have him back. I'm very glad to have him back. because <laughs> So yes, lots of prayers for returns there. Um, and, I, and I'm assuming we'll get to hear what he got to go visit the Holy Land. And I, and I just know this is going to come out in his preaching now. I just know it will because it's nothing like experience and being in those places and what we read about every day. So anyway, today we're in 2 Samuel 7. 2 Samuel 7. Uh, we've been going through a series on the heart of David, and he's the king of Israel. That's why that song, Son of David, that, that last song they did there, uh, just connects with this so well. Um, today's view is David's heart of gratitude. His heart of gratitude uh, with what only God can do. That's what we're going to see. It's only his heart of gratitude is just that God did everything for him, and it was only through God's, through God's mercies and grace that David was able to do anything. Because we know, I mean, I know there's been people that go through your mind as we're hearing about all these good things of David. We understand David was a sinner, right? So, but God, everything that happened in David's life that was good was what God did through him and with him, through grace and mercy for David. Um, so anyway, open your Bibles to 2 Samuel 7, uh, it's 1 through 29, but we're going to break it into two parts, kind of like I think Mark did that last week. We're going to do this in two sections. Maybe you could call it Bible study style or whatever, but what we're going to do is we're, gonna, we're just going to set up context, and then we're going to talk about David's gratitude. So the first part, um, we're going to break it into two parts. If, you want, if you're a note taker, and I'm not sure I'm very friendly to note takers, sometimes I forget about that. Uh, the two parts are going to be God's promises and David's gratitude. God's promises and David's gratitude. And so leave you some space between God's promises and David's gratitude. <laughs> the, so first part, the Lord's covenant with David. And this is very important. Um, this is very important. And this is going to be the first, uh, let's see, 17 verses. Uh, and this is very, this, what's so crazy about this, what made this hard to study for is most commentators, when they get to chapter, se- chapter 7, uh, they talk about the Davidic covenant. It's super important because it's, uh, it's bridging all this stuff from the Abrahamic covenant all the way to Jesus. So, like, they get really focused in on that. But we're going to be looking, our main focus today is David's heart of gratitude due to this Davidic covenant. Davidic covenant. But we're going to look at that first to understand why David has so much to be grateful for. <clears throat> so I'm going to start reading there. Verse 1. Now when the king lived in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day. But I've been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. 
In all places where I have moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and I will plant them, so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more, as formerly. From the, t- from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel. That should have been together. Let me reread that sentence. And violent men shall afflict them no more, as formerly, from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. You shall build a house for my name. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be put to him a father. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity... I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words and in accordance with all the vision, Nathan spoke to David. This is the word of the Lord. Father God, we thank you for this opportunity to to just come here and look at your word and and see your covenant with David. And Father, I just pray right now we would relax and we would rest. Um, Just as you said here, you're going to give your people rest. And uh, so Lord, I just pray that this morning we just relax and and whatever the Holy Spirit, whatever Holy Spirit you have to say to us, that it would, you touch our hearts and, and convict us, comfort us, show us your grace and mercy. We thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, a lot going through my mind there because as I was reading this, even more stuff's popping out. That's the problem with, with Scripture like this, and that's a lot of Scripture, and we're going to like double down on that uh, with the second part. But there's so much going on here, and if you don't know, a lot of what's being said is not just being said about David. It's being said about Jesus. There's these parallel things going on. He's at the same time he's talking about David's son, Solomon, most likely, and all that. He's also talking about one of David's future sons. So Eugene Peterson puts it so eloquently when he says this. And this this actually sums up all the sermons previous, the last previous weeks that have been preached on this. The momentum is up. Everything has come together. David is on his way. He has put the Philistines in their place. He has consolidated the country, impressively uniting north and south. He has established the new capital city, Jerusalem, and brought up the Ark of the Covenant in a great and festive parade, signaling that, they, that we're dealing with far more than David here. God reigns. So everything's taking place, right? So, so we've seen that over the... Last week, we got to see where David made a little blunder with the Ark. Someone died. It's got to weigh heavy on you as a leader. But then he did it right. So all that stuff's taken care of. There's just one thing. The Ark is sitting out here in a tent. And David's feeling a little guilty. He's got some of that 
you know, guilt of like, why have I got so much? I need to do something for God. So he's actually getting ready close to enter into sin here because he's now he's, and we do that a lot. Where when everything's resting and we're in that right place, we have a tendency to maybe do things that seem like good intentions, but uh, they're really not about the person we're doing for. It's about us. And that's what David was getting ready to do here. But so let's take it, let's just look right here contextually. It was only six miles from Bethlehem where David had grown up as an obscure shepherd to Jerusalem, to Jerusalem where he was now Israel's finest king. And Brian was just telling me this morning, like in Israel, it's like the size of, what'd you say? New Jersey. So for us, I, you know, I was always like, well, David's way out in a pasture somewhere and he's got to drive two hours into town. <laughs> but he was only six miles from Bethlehem. Uh, it was only six miles from Bethlehem uh, to Jerusalem. Uh, where now he's Israel's finest king. That's quite a journey, right? He took him from this. He just took him from the fields. It says it took roughly 20 years for him to make that trip. So this wasn't overnight. He had been through a lot, lions, bears. And usually when I say that in my mind, I start thinking about the Wizard of Oz. But he actually, lions, bears, giants. That's a huge divider, right? He fought a lion, he fought a bear, he fought a giant. We saw that, we heard that message. He dealt with persecution, he dealt with battle. He dealt with bad leadership that wanted to kill him. If your boss ever wants to kill you, you probably need to look for another job. Uh, But he was overwhelmingly grateful. He had a home, now what? He has a place, he has a house of cedar. And of course it wasn't just cedar, it was stone with cedar lining, which is even more fancy, right? It's a lot of cedar. And I would assume it, it, was, it was really, by even today's standard, what would that cost today to build a stone house with cedar lining? So David said, you know what? I'm going to build God a house. Now, what it is here, he's busybodying now. He's like, okay, I've done everything. What can I do now? And it's good intentions. And Nathan, who is the, his prophet at that time and, and uh, in the, uh, his house, says, go for it. Sounds like a good plan. But then God says, Stop. He speaks to Nathan that, that night. He says, you think I need something from you? And sometimes God has to do that with me. I have good intentions and I set out to do things and he has to stop me. You're not doing this for me, you're doing it for you. God says this to him. He says, I took you from the field. And this stands out to me. Actually, this stood out to me months ago before I ever had the assignment of preaching this. In verse eight, it says, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people. That just exploded in my mind. And I've read that before. I'm going to read it again. I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people. It wasn't that everybody's like, you know who should be king? David. He's a good guy. He's nice to look at. Like, none of those things were in his favor. He was an obscure shepherd in the fields, and God's like, That's who I'm using. And he says to David, he says, I will build you a house. That's pretty impressive because David is sitting there going, I've got a really nice house here. You're in a tent. You're going to build me a house. But God says, I'm going to build it eternally. And that's where the Davidic covenant comes in. That's where we come in. And then he says, your son will build me a house. And those are two things I want you to hold right now. His son David's son, Solomon, will build a house. 
because he, he meets some better requirements. We can touch base with those. The reason, one of the reasons David wasn't permitted to build this house because he was a man of war. We know that the scripture tells us that he had shed much blood. Solomon is a king of, in, during a time of peace. And he's able to build this temple and to follow through those plans. But there's a double thing going on there. Your son will build me a house and it will be eternal. It's Jesus. We're going to get into that. It's the Davidic covenant. Keith Matheson um, says this. God reminds David that since the time he brought Israel out of Egypt, he has moved with the people in the tabernacle. He reminds David that he has been with him wherever he went and has defeated David's enemies. He then promises David that he will make for David a great name. God declares that he will give Israel rest from her enemies and that he will make a house for David. God promises that he will establish the kingdom of David's offspring, and he promises that David's offspring will build a house for God and that he will establish David's kingdom forever. That's the Davidic covenant, the bulk of it. So he's making all these promises to David. And we can hold those promises sure because we know we're the outworking of a lot of that. We're the results of all this. Um, but God continues with promises concerning David's offspring. He's, he, God promises him, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. Does that ring a bell? That's in verse 14. God warns that he will discipline David's offspring as if he commits iniquity, but God also promises that his steadfast love will not depart from him as it was taken from Saul. And that's important because Saul had it taken away. Saul was the first king. But here God's saying, your sons after you, they're going to they're gonna mess up. But I'm not going to take. I'm not, your kingdom is going to last forever. There will always be someone on that throne from your line. These promises are primarily focused on Solomon because he built a physical temple and then the kings after that. And we know as we get into it, there's a lot of bad kings after that. <clears throat> but in all this, there's a bigger picture, and that's Jesus. He will build a better house. The church and his kingdom will be eternal. That's why this Davidic covenant is so promised. Um, God promises David, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever made sure forever before me your throne will be established forever this should just scream jesus to you you know and, and you go well that's the cool thing so like anybody here you how many people are actually read well i was gonna start, I, I wasn't gonna say actually read the bible i was gonna say when you're reading the bible when you get to the genealogies do you read every single name or do you skip around that doesn't surprise me. <laughs> and I think that's awesome. I had to have a friend set me free from that because he's a, an avid Bible reader. He's like, I moved through the genealogies pretty quick. <laughs> but here's the beauty of the genealogies. They're there for a reason. And sometimes it is nice, right, to search those genealogies and go, oh, I know that name, I know that name, I know that name. But if you go to Matthew 1 and you read through the genealogies, do you know what you're going to see? You're going to see that Jesus is in the line of David. That was put in there for a reason. Luke uh, uh, chapter 1, verses 32 and 33 says this, He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. 
and of his kingdom, there will be no end. And if you're like me, anytime I say that word forever, I think of Sandlot and that kid's like forever. And that's it, forever. Thank, thank goodness, right? Um, and then Acts 13, 33 through 34 uh, reveals that the resurrection of Jesus was the ultimate fulfillment of the holy and sure blessings promised to David in Isaiah 55, 3. So it's all ties together. It's all there. So that's the Davidic covenant. Now, you could preach for weeks on that, and that was a very speedy through uh, uh, the Davidic covenant. And, but now we're going to look at David sees why he needs to be grateful. So now we're at part two, David's response. And David's prayer of gratitude, it probably says that in your Bible, David's prayer of gratitude, right there, starting at verse 18. We're going to read this section. <clears throat> then King David went in and sat before the Lord and said, who am I, O Lord God? And I want you to notice this. Pause. Several times there, you're going to see capital letters, O and God. O Lord God. Keep an eye on those. Who am I, O Lord God, and what is my house that you have brought me thus far? And yet this was a small thing in your eyes, O Lord God. You have spoken also of your servant's house for a great while to come, and this is instruction for mankind, O Lord God. And what more can David say to you? For you know your servant, O Lord God. Because of your promise and according to your own heart, you have brought about all this greatness to make your servant know it. Therefore, you are great, O Lord God, for there is none like you. And there is no God besides you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. And who is like your people Israel, the one nation on earth whom God went to redeem? to be his people, making himself a name and doing for them great and awesome things by driving out before your people, whom you redeemed for yourself from Egypt, a nation and its gods. And you established for yourself your people, Israel, to be your people forever. And you, O Lord, became their God. And now, O Lord God, confirm forever the word that you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house and do as you have spoken. And your name will be magnified forever saying, the Lord of hosts is God over Israel. And the house of your servant David will be established before you. For you, O Lord of hosts, the God of Israel have made this revelation to your servant saying, I will build you a house. Therefore, your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. And now, O Lord God, you are God, and your words are true, and you've promised this good thing to your servant. Now, therefore, may it please you to bless the house of your servant, so that it may continue forever before you. For you, O Lord God, have spoken, and with your blessing shall the house of your servant be blessed forever. This is the word of the Lord. Praise and gratitude. You know, as I was working on this. There's things that I'm very thankful for um, as I go through, but they don't compare to this. Like, we have something really great to be grateful, and I was thinking about things that started out with, uh, but they're so minor. They're major to me. I'm very thankful for hot water heaters. I'll leave that one right there, and I'm very thankful for refrigeration. It's just two things, but those things are incomparable to what David's talking about here. He has praise and gratitude. David's heart of gratitude here is unmistakable. And we're going to look at some Psalms. David's heart of gratitude pours out in his Psalms all, all the time, in a lot of them. 
You know, as I thought about this, I thought the world around us feels very entitled. Or it is entitled. I shouldn't say it is entitled. I don't even think I used that word a decade ago. And now I feel like it's that way all the time. And the thing that's really starting to weigh on me is I see the church as being entitled. I meet with people. I've met with people this last year. And the things that they say, I'm like, I mean, they're shaking their fist at God. Like, why does he not do this for me? I deserve this. I deserve that. And as I thought about this, I'm, at, I'm in Job right now, which is a really hard book to read because everything those guys are saying sounds right, but they're wrong. <laughs> but there are nuggets of stuff that they're saying that is right. And the young guy, Elihu, or however you want to say his name, in Job 34, 14 through 15 says this, and this is all I'll say about entitled. He says this, if he, God, should set his heart to it and gather to himself his spirit and his breath, all flesh would perish together and man would return to dust. That's all I've got to say about being entitled. Because, holy smokes, (laughs) it's true, right? God, he doesn't owe us anything. He doesn't need you. When I see those bumper stickers that says, give Jesus a try, give Jesus a try, (laughs) I'll leave that alone. Okay. So we don't see entitlement in the heart of David's prayer. I was getting ready to preach a whole different sermon. We don't see entitlement in the heart of David's prayer. And at verse 18, he says this, then King David, it says this, then King David went in and sat before the Lord and said, who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that you have brought me this far? I have to say that all the time because I do not deserve what I have. I don't even know how I'm up here, to be honest with you. Like, when I look at it, I'm like, has to be you, God. And I have to remind, I have to do that. I have to say, God, you put me here. You've got to follow through with this. But David went in. Most likely, what it means there, he probably went into the tent he had pitched for the ark. So I can see this. He's in there within the tent. And he's, he's sat down. There's nothing else he can do. One writer says this, he says, David humbled himself and began his prayer with appropriate humility and deference. I looked up deference. I knew what it meant, sort of. It means humble submission and respect. And yes, I Googled it. That's how I got it. It's the easiest way. But deference means that humble submission and respect. That's how David went in. David uses the phrase, O Lord God, eight times. And this this expresses a close intimacy with God. We have that now. We can cry, Abba, Father. We can cry, Dad. We can say, Daddy. It's okay. David expressed his humility before God by referring to himself as your servant 10 times. I don't know if you guys picked up on that, but that word servant just kept coming. David realized who he was and where he was at. In verses 18 through 21, David acknowledges that the Lord's goodness in bestowing the ble- acknowledges that God's goodness in bestowing all these b- blessings and all these uh, uh, privileges and promises. Um, and then he talks about God's sovereignty. He says, "Therefore you are great, for there is none like you." That's verse 22. God's sovereignty, He's in control. It's so easy to forget that. But He took David from the field. He took you from where you were at, and He delivered you. Mark Boda says this, David was unwilling to highlight highlight anything in his own behavior 
that would be deserving of this grace. Instead, he concentrated on God's word and will. I love that phrase. He concentrated on God's word and will. I chewed on that. I was like, he tr- think about that. He, he concentrated on God's word. If we would do that, right? Instead of our neighbor's word and our friend's word. Sometimes it's good advice, but what is God saying? What is God doing? What has God told you to do in the word? And what is God's will? That can be a tough one. What is God's will? That's what David's focusing on. So let's look at, let's look at some of David's heart in the Psalms. And we're just going to hit two here. We're going to look at uh, Psalm 138, and we're just going to look at verses 1 through 8. Because if I go beyond 8, then I'll have to give some context. But 1 through 8 is, is really good. This is of David. And you'll notice not all Psalms are written by David, but they'll usually say of David at the beginning. Um, and some of them, they may just not know who wrote them. But this one is Psalm 138, verses 1 through 8. I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods, I sing your praise. I bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. On the day I called, you answered me. My strength of soul you increased. All the kings of the earth shall give you thanks, O Lord, for they have heard the words of your mouth. And they shall sing of the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. For though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand delivers me. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands." That may be that whole psalm. I can't remember. And then we're going to look, and then Psalm 95 highlights this, verses 1 through 7. In a song of praise, David says this, Psalm, psalm 95. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. O oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. And as I thought about this, this psalm, especially right here, he goes, Let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. And I thought about communion today. And and we should, communion can be a very somber thing, right? Because it's a time of remembrance of what Jesus has done for you. But what if that we looked at that today specifically as a time uh, to sing unto the Lord, to to make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation? Because what you're celebrating when you come to that communion table is what has been done what he has done for you. So we can do that with celebration. So I got, I got some questions here. They're not for on the board. They're just for you to think about right now. And you can, you can write them down if you want to. But the first one is, what are you most grateful for? What are you most grateful for? What has God done for you? I'm not going to, I mean, I could sit and fill these in. I could give you some ideas, but I think you know. I think, 
Um, and what comes to mind may be something to, to ponder on and, and put into, you know, what does that mean about your relationship with God? How do you see him? That's not one of the questions, but that's just me elaborating. <laughs> what, and then here it is. The last one was, what has God done for you? What did you do to deserve it? What was the thing you did that, that made God go, man, I got to do that for them? They built me a house. I'll give you a couple things. He gave you rest from, from one of your main enemies, and that was your sin. From the condemnation that comes from it, he gave you rest from that. He established you. He took you from the field. He saw where you were at. He called you. John 15, 16 says this. You did not choose me. This is Jesus speaking. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. We'll stop right there. We'll call that 1516A. He chose you. He gave himself for you. You did not deserve that at all, period. Nothing in you. That's a good thing, right? Because if it's remotely dependent on anything we did, even that good thing you did, we all know if you reflected on it long enough, you'd go, well, I was hoping they would leave me, put me in their wheel. Like there's something deep down that's, that, that's, that's probably gonna mess that up. Not, not that we don't do good things and we, we've been created to do good things. God has done this in us. But there's nothing in us that gives us that we deserve what he did for us. Do you know that he calls you friend? The creator of the universe calls you friend. <clears throat> Our response should be shaped by David's. David's heart was toward God's. He humbly sat before him. And he worshiped him. We should hum be humbled by God's salvations and blessings. Salvation, number one. Because here's the thing. It doesn't matter what happens here because you've been saved. Even if you live a life of despairing poverty, which I pray you don't, but even if you do, you're still, you're still win the battle. You're gonna be with him for eternity. Verse 18. Then we're gonna end there. So I just want you to ponder on these things. Verse 18, who am I? This is what we should say this morning. This is what David's saying to God in verse 18. Who am I, O Lord God, and what is my house that you have brought me thus far? So as we're getting ready to take communion, I know this has been very quick compared to the last time I preached, but I just wanted to, I wanted to reflect on these things today. So as we're doing that, I want you to reflect on who am I, O Lord God, and what is my house that you have brought me this far? And that's every one of us can say that. So we're going to do communion. We're going to take communion. Um, and so communion is, is this, it's just this great ordinance. And what's great about it is when you take communion, you can go, these, these two things, his body that was crushed for me, his blood that was shed for me, it's to do it in remembrance of what's been done. It's been taken care of. Nothing in you. And to give him thanks. And let's do it. I mean, when I say with a joyful noise, I would like for you to keep it. 
you know. <laughs> well, you know what? Whatever. Like, but do it with joy in your heart. Be excited about what he's doing, where he took you from, and what he's done for you. Everything in your life has led up to this moment, to this day. Um, and if you don't feel like taking communion, there's good reasons. As Christians, we, the, the scriptures show us that maybe we need to go take care of something else first. Hurt toward a brother or hurt toward yourself, like something like that. But it's a time to come and just honor the Lord for what he's done and remember what he's done for you. And if you're not a believer, don't take it. You don't have to get up. Either way, nobody's going to notice. But this is between you and God. This is your heart toward God. So let me pray, and then I'm going to sit down. We're going to think about that, what God's done for us, and what we have to be grateful for. And when I get up and take communion, then it'll open up, and you start in the back and come forward. Watch the flow. I think everybody that's here, since you made it through the rain, is a regular attender, so you probably know what's going on. <laughs> Just joking. Those of you people that are home watching this. So let me pray. Father God, I thank you for everything you're doing. I praise you for this opportunity to just, to just look at your word um, and just see what you've done for us. No one deserves what you did. You paid the price for us. You paid the debt in full. You said it is finished. It is done. No matter what's facing us today, we should have gratitude for that. Just that alone is enough to go out of this place singing and praising God. So, Lord, I just thank you and praise you for everything you've done. In Jesus' name, amen.